0: Well, church family, grab your Bibles or your phones, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. So our plan for the month of August is to resume our study through Luke that we've already been in for numerous weeks. Then we'll take a longer hiatus from Luke beginning in September and take up a study in the book of Proverbs. So uh, be in prayer for that and perhaps be reading through Proverbs, it's only the second, so... Or 31 days in August, maybe catch up and read through Proverbs before we begin in September uh, and be praying for me as I consider that book leading up to our studies in it. But for now, we're back in Luke, and our text this morning is Luke 8, verses 16 through 21. The last time we were in Luke was our last entirely virtual service, back on June 7. Uh, that Sunday, you might recall, we studied the very well-known parable of Jesus uh, as the sower of the seed. So the parable of the sower or at that time, he said maybe even a better title for that is the parable of the soils. Uh, if you remember the, the famous parable, Jesus likens himself to a farmer scattering seed, which he calls the word of God. And then there's four different soils that that seed falls upon. Three ultimately reject the word of God. The fourth soil, though, receives the word, the truth, holds fast to it, and bears much fruit. And our passage this morning is very much on the heels of that passage, so you'll see a lot of overlap between the two, and that's because Jesus is still speaking in this text that we're coming to this morning. Uh, here, Jesus adds more onto his teaching, and, and it's this idea of hearing God's word and obeying it, being truly good soil, something Luke obviously wanted his readers to understand because he, it's a theme in his gospel account, hearing and doing. So let's dig back into these words from Jesus and see what we would hear and obey today. So listen as I read for us Luke eight sixteen through 21. Jesus is talking. He says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and for the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So, three points. No surprise there. Three points this morning. The word exposes. The word exposes. Second, the word divides. The word divides. And third, the word commands. The word commands. And church family, may God's word shine into our hearts this morning through this text. Not only to teach us but to change us by the power of the Spirit, whose sword is this Word of God. So, first point, the Word exposes. There in verse 16, Jesus puts an illustration to those who would hear. He says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. So he's using the illustration of an oil lamp. So an oil lamp would have been used to light uh, homes uh, in first century Palestine. Uh, an oil lamp would have had the brightness, uh, more or less, of, an, of a candle. And so something that dim compared to what we have in fluorescent lighting today and other lighting, um, the oil lamp would need to not only be lit, but would need to be elevated so it could cast its light as far as possible and give visibility to those in the room. So any homeowner worth his salt would light a lamp and then put the lamp on a stand so as to best distribute the light. So think about what Jesus has been talking about then in the parable of the soils, verses four through 15. So he's been talking about this, this seed that's been sown by a farmer and his interpretation is that he is the farmer. The seed is the word of God and the sowing of it is his teaching and preaching. So in light of that, he's using another illustration here that's very much similar. So what is the lamp? The lamp is Jesus' teaching. What Luke says in chapter 8 verse 1 is the good news of the kingdom. That's the lamp. And so if Jesus is, is communicating this truth, you want the lamp up so as many people can see it as possible. That's what you do with the light. That's what you do with the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like a common household oil lamp, it makes no sense to cover up a lamp. A lamp is meant by its very nature to shine, to illumine. So it is with the teaching of Jesus. His words are light. So I think, Christian, we should use this text as an opportunity to remind ourselves of the power of the Word of God. So the Bible, what you guys are holding in your hands or picking up, pulling up on your smartphones, is what we believe to be the very word of the living God to us. I know that's simple Sunday School 101, but it's kind of flabbergasting when you think about it. And because that's true, then the Bible is not a guidebook, merely. It's not simply kind of a roadmap to better, more wise living. It's not even a kind of reference work that we can pull off the shelf in our home library when we have specific questions about life. You know, those kind of bigger books in the library that you're not allowed, do they still do this? You're not allowed to actually check them out, but you can reference them. I think I often think of the Bible that way. The Bible is the communication of the God of the universe in written form to his creatures. This book is light and life to our souls. Dane Ortland puts it like this. He says, what inhaling does for us physically, Bible reading does for us spiritually. What inhaling does for us physically, Bible reading does for us spiritually. So when I heard that, I looked, Googled up some certain physical symptoms of oxygen deprivation. And they included symptoms like confusion and restlessness. And if that's the case, I think Ortland's illustration is spot on, right? The so Christian, you have been recreated through the power of the Holy Spirit. So now more than ever you are designed to run on God. And how do we know God? Through his word, Through the Bible. And so it makes sense then that when we neglect this book, when we neglect this word, we become spiritually confused, oxygen depraved, deprived and depraved. Spiritually dazed, confused, disoriented, restless, anxious. We haven't been breathing deeply enough. This is a living book, a book that the author of Hebrews says is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. So Christian, are you inhaling the spiritual oxygen of the Bible like you really need it? Is it a reference work on your shelf or is the living word constantly before you? The light of this word, of Jesus' teaching, of the very word of God, this light shines forth like a lamp in a dark room. It shines and it exposes. It not only provides light, but it sheds light on the hearts of those who hear it. I think that's what we see Jesus saying in verse 17. Something we can learn from what he says there. He says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. I think what Jesus is talking about here is the part of man. And, and what he's saying is that word is, is what incisively targets our innermost thoughts and then just reveals them for what they are. See, Jesus' word, I think, can both be seen as a floodlight filling a dark room, filling the landscape of a dark room with just brilliant light, radiance, But it can also be seen as sort of a laser pointer, penetrating the deepest caverns of our hearts. The word exposes everything. There is no secret that will not finally be exposed by its light. So you may be able to successfully keep secrets from your spouse, or your friends, or your church, or your boss. You will never be able to keep secrets from God. And on the last day, it won't be your spouse, it won't be your friends, it won't be your church or your boss who will judge you. It will be the one who knows you completely. The word exposes. That's the first thing we see in this text. And that brings us to our second thing that we see. The word divides. See, the word exposes our hearts, and we see a warning here of Judgment Day. And so one of Jesus' purposes in these verses is to say, how are you going to respond, folks? How are you going to respond to this powerful word? So we say this often at Loudon Valley, but there are really only two ways to respond to the word. There are only really two ways available in the long run. The word divides its hearers. You either listen and obey and believe, or you reject. Look at verse 18. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, how are you going to respond? He says, take care. Be careful, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, that's one of those lines that I'm just like, okay, I don't get it. But but think about it. This, is, this phrase is a lot becomes a lot more illumined when you think back to the parable of the soils. So remember what happened to the three soils who ended up not receiving God's word. Did they ever receive, did they ever get it? Yeah, kind of, I mean, was, the word was scattered on them. But eventually, whether it was you know a fading away during trial or kind of a, uh, a bird coming to pick it up, which is a picture of the devil coming to pick up the word before it could be implanted, whether it's due to testing or trials, Those soils didn't begin to bear fruit. And so for those soils, even what they had at the beginning was taken away. You see that? Even what they thought they had for a while was eventually not there anymore. But the good soil, the good soil didn't just stay good soil. It bore fruit again and again. It bore fruit and that fruit bore more fruit and that fruit (laughs) bore more fruit. So to the soil who had the word, More was given. But to the soil that heard the word but allowed it to be stifled or shriveled or pecked away, to that soil, even what it had already was eventually taken away. You see that? The word divides its hearers between that good soil and the bad soil. Between the soil that receives by faith and the soil that rejects. It divides between those who respond in faith and repentance with soft hearts receiving God's truth and being changed by it, and those who respond with less sincerity of heart. Who are perhaps curious, interested, they won't persevere. So in light of this exposure and division among those who hear the word, Jesus' warning is clear to us. Take care how you hear. You will come to judgment one day, Jesus is saying. So will you come as one who heard God's word and responded with true faith? Or will you be one who ultimately rejects the word? Church, if if this is true, if what Jesus is saying here in Luke 8 is, is true, then it's incredibly significant for us. It means that what we're doing right now is incredibly significant. I mean, you listening there, in your seats, whether you're helping your kids, and you're only being able to listen with half a mind, which I totally understand, or, or your, your mind is, is kind of daydreaming about what happened this past week, and you're like, oh yeah, I need to listen. What you're doing right now in your seats, what I did this past week, feebly studying this passage, and then presenting it to you now, man, what's happening here is immensely important. How are we going to hear God's word? Will we hear and obey as we'll see Jesus' command in in verse 21? Or will we just kind of nod to its moral teaching and then go on with our lives with no further thought to the word of Christ? So according to Jesus himself, if we listen to sermon after sermon, if we read devotional after devotional throughout the week, and we don't hear with obedient faith, we'll just be piling up damning evidence for Judgment Day. I'm not saying that. Jesus is. So church, I think a very good practical application for us this morning is to think about how we listen to sermons, myself included. So uh, Christopher Ash, perhaps you've seen this book before, it's 30 pages, not a long book, more of a booklet. Christopher Ash, who's a scholar and writer in residence at Tyndall House in Cambridge, England, Uh, Years ago, he wrote this small little booklet uh, called Listen Up, A Practical Guide to Listening to Sermons. There's a lot of good stuff crammed into these brief 30 pages, but let me just share with you one of the lists that he gives. So this, he gives lots of lists. That's what booklets do, right? But this list is comprised of five things we can do in order to better prepare for the Sunday morning sermon. All right, so five things to better prepare for the Sunday morning sermon. Number one, he says, look up next Sunday's Bible passage and read it at home during the week. So, Loudon Valley, next week we're going to be looking at Luke 8, 22 through 25. Four verses. So, why not take some time this week to look over those verses, to shoot me an email with thoughts or questions you have about them. And if you wonder what text is coming up, if you ever wonder that, go on the website, loudonvalley.org backslash upcoming hyphen service. You know, just Google it. Number two, Christopher Ash says, pray for next Sunday's preacher in the middle of the week. So whether it's me or someone else, pray. Pray we would receive God's word humbly and willingly in our preparation so that we can faithfully proclaim it to you. Pray against Satan's discouragement or confusion during prep time. Sometimes temptation and discouragement can grow when you're actually trying to dig into God's word. Pray against that for yourself and for the preacher. Number three, he says, Pray often for yourself that by his spirit God will grow in you a heartfelt expectation that God himself will speak to you as his word is preached. So, I, I wonder, like for you, for me, do we have that expectation? If you're honest and you just don't, why not pray for it? And God loves to give good gifts to his people when we ask. Number four, Ash writes If you can, try not to come to the sermon exhausted, but come rested and ready to pay close attention. That's super practical, isn't it? So, maybe. Being ready for a sermon on Sunday nights means, or on Sunday, means turning off the TV earlier on Saturday nights. Drinking less caffeine in the afternoon on Saturdays, so you can sleep better. I don't know how your body works. I assume you do, to a certain extent. So how can you put things into practice that ensure that you're ready to be alert on Sunday morning? Not just because it's me, not because I want your attention, even though I do, because it's the Word of God. Number five, Christopher Ash says, deliberately quiet your mind and heart before the sermon and say to yourself, this is when God speaks to me. Pray again, Lord, speak to me, I'm listening. Again, super practical. So if you take sermon notes, maybe just write that little prayer uh, each Sunday before you write your notes. Write, Lord, speak to me, I'm listening. If this is the way God speaks to his people, we want to be expected when we come to it. So use those for what they're worth. Five ways to prepare to listen to God's word when it's preached. God's word exposes, God's word divides, and finally, God's word commands. And when I say that, I don't mean that the word of God teaches or instructs. It certainly does. But I mean command in the way that Jesus commands us to act based on his word. I mean commanding obedience. That's really the whole point of this passage. So if you're not listening to anything else, this is pretty much the gist of what Jesus is getting at. Uh, The word commands obedience. It commands, not like Jane read earlier, not merely hearing, but doing. That's what she read for us in James chapter 1. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't just listen to the Bible. Obey the Bible. So listening without obeying is like the homeowner who knows a hurricane is coming. He's heard the news reports, which now I know. I didn't know when I was writing this that there actually is one coming. So sorry, people down south. Hope you're safe. Uh, Who hears that a hurricane is coming, hears how gusty its winds are, hears the devastation it's having on other places, and takes no action to board up his windows, to move to a higher ground, he hears... And does not act. And so when the hurricane comes, it's too late. For that man, the the question is valid. Did he really even hear at all? Friend, if you hear the word of Christ, if you hear the gospel and you respond in faith, trusting and receiving God's truth, you will be saved. But if you hear the word of Christ, maybe even hear it constantly, week in and week out at church but you don't live by it, it doesn't affect the way you actually live on Mondays, you don't put it into practice, you don't stake your life on it, then do you, really, do you really believe it at all? The Bible says, believe in Jesus, repent, trust in him alone. So if you're not doing those things, I don't think you've actually even heard the Bible. Like it's meant to be heard. So look with me there at verses 19 through 21. So this seems to be another occasion during Jesus's ministry, but Luke puts it here because it perfectly aligns with the theme that he's building in this chapter. So Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. It seems he's probably indoors somewhere because it's hard to get to him and who should come calling, but his mom and his brothers. Verse 19, then Jesus's mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's the theme, right, of this passage. Hear and do. Those who truly are followers of Christ are those who not only hear but do his word. Now, Jesus isn't casting aspersions on his immediate physical family. I mean, you can remember on the cross, he commissions one of his friends to take care of his mother after he's gone. Jesus cares deeply for his immediate family. But he's using this announcement in the middle of a gathering, yo, Jesus, your family's here, as a teaching point for those who are listening to him. So he gets this announcement, and he turns to the, the crowd, and he says his His uh, family is here, is near, and he's going to make a point of, to try to make his teaching more clear as a result. So those who are truly his family, those who actually belong to him eternally, are those who hear Jesus and obey him. They're his family. Again, we're reminded to take care how we respond to the word of God. So friend, maybe you're here this morning and you're, you like to be thought of as a Christian. It's comfortable for you. You're fluent in Christianese. Perhaps you were raised in a Christian home. Maybe you like the comfort and stability that the Christian community offers. But you know, you just, you don't, you don't have a heartfelt faith in Christ. Take heed to Jesus' words here. Drop the charade. Choose a side. Will you hear or obey and obey, or will you hear and reject? It's not healthy nor sustainable to kind of straddle that fence. And Christian, once again, consider how you hear and respond to God's word. I'm not saying you have to come with excitement every time on Sunday morning. I mean for, for some of you this morning, you were tired, you were wondering how you're going to corral your kids. You're not super, super excited to go to church. I'm not saying you have to be that every Sunday. I mean there are Sundays and take advantage of those. They're great. I'm not saying every morning you need to just hop out of bed because you just can't wait to dig into God's Word. There are mornings like that. Pray for more of them. You can't count on them every morning. We're fallen creatures, and our desire for God is fallen. Do you get that? I think sometimes as Christians, we're like, yeah, bodies are fallen. Yeah, emotions are fallen. Intellect? Yeah, I guess, but pretty good thinking about things. No, you're going to we're going to think badly about God. We're going to desire God badly. There are times of great joy, but often the Christian life is characterized by self denial and self discipline, right? Yet at times, at those times, whether in times of excitement, whether in times of dryness, what is your heart posture towards God's Word? I mean, do you go to it to be instructed by it and live in accordance with it? Or do you go to it as sort of a, I mean, just what you do? It's like coffee. Right? In the morning, this is what I do. Or, or maybe worse, you go to it as kind of like, I need to do this if my day will be blessed. I think you're missing out on what the word is, the power of the word, if that's kind of the only reason you're approaching it. J.C. Ryle once wrote, reading the Bible is essential to the attainment of sound Christian knowledge. Yes. Yet... He says, the mere formal reading of so many chapters as a task and duty without a humble desire to be taught of God is little better than a waste of time. Christians, see the power of the word of Christ. Ask him for greater understanding of it so that you can humbly obey him. And look, church family, this is where we're pointed not only to Christ's words but to Christ's deeds. Not only does he say, you should hear and do, but as we wrap up this morning, we need to see what Jesus did. Jesus himself is the only perfect doer of God's word, isn't he? Jesus never disobeyed. Think about when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and he just kept saying, the word says, it is written, it is written. Who's a better doer of God's word than Jesus Christ? who never sinned, who was the model God follower, the model of obedience to Scripture, was everything we should be. And that's why he would take our judgment for not being doers of the word on himself at the cross and set us free. See, if you leave this morning with a great, healthy burden to understand and obey God's word better, great, I'm glad. But if you leave with a great burden to understand and obey God's word because somehow that will finally make God happy with you and make you acceptable to him. That's not good. I'm not glad. You cannot be acceptable to God. It's too late for that. You've already sinned. There's no control Z for sin. There's no undo. Command C for sin. But Jesus is acceptable to God. And if you trust in him and the death he died for you at the cross, you will be acceptable to to God as well. And no one will be able to ever take that away from you. That's your status. So trust in Jesus, the perfect, obedient servant. And then, as one united to him by faith, then go to God's word. Then go to obey and to listen. To go to God's word is a liberating, joy-giving, obedience-empowering gift that it is to us. Let's be students of the word, those who hear and do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. We're so familiar with it, and we can often forget to live in light of it. And so we pray that you would Be at work in us to make us diligent students of the word, studying it and then letting it work out in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.